this episode, Dr. Jeff Porter, Mark Hodgkin, and I spend time with three experts on sustainability in sport. The future of sport venues are intertwined with smart cities where you can live, work, play, and learn. It's going beyond being green or net carbon neutral. Teams engaging communities addressing housing, education, health and wellness, energy, nutrition and food systems, transportation, 5G connectivity, data, and so much more. Stay tuned to learn all about it. I'd like to introduce you to Scott Jenkins. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing great now that I'm unmuted. <laughs> <laughs> we're, get, we're getting that out early in the podcast. That's great. <laughs> and then uh, secondly, we have Chris Castro. Uh, how are you doing, Chris? Doing well, Keel. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. Uh, it's awesome to see you. Uh, we met back at UCF. We're both UCF alumni. Um, so I think that's special for the students to know you got your start in student government. Um, and, and we'll share a little bit about that here in a bit. Uh, and third, uh, last but not least, we have uh, Terry uh, Cecil. Uh, so Terry, how are you doing? Excellent. Fantastic to be on, on such a great panel. Glad, glad to have you here. So you know, one of the questions that I think will be brought up uh, by our students in class is, what is sustainability? You know, it's, it, there, there's so much going on in the industry right now and so many good things. But before we talk through this podcast today of sustainability and sport, um, you know, let's just, let's just set a, a definition for our students here of what sustainability is. Uh, could one of you uh, take, a, take a shot at that? Sure, I'll take the, the first attempt at this and a little history that this concept of sustainability really came out back in the 80s uh, through a United Nations Brundtland report uh, that really looked at um, how do we move humanity in uh, a more positive direction. And it really defined itself around uh, meeting the needs of today without compromising, compromising the needs of future generations and the ability for those generations to, to excel. And, you know, when we come down to the core of my work in the city of Orlando as our director of sustainability and resilience, it's, it's about figuring out a new paradigm shift in, in how we think and how we govern and run our business to really look at what we call the triple bottom line, people, planet, and our collective prosperity. And so it's a different perspective and not just looking at the single bottom line of does this make dollars and cents, uh, but also how does it impact public health? social equity, how does it impact natural resources and the environment of which are fully dependent upon for a good and robust and vibrant economy. Um, often we talk about the economy being uh, a wholly owned subsidiary of the environment. And so um, often environmental factors haven't been um, at the forefront of a lot of decisions, whether it's investment decisions, whether it's how we again govern, uh, but sustainability is, is coming to the forefront and really changing our perspective and, and realizing that in order to make any given decision, we have to look at it from this triple bottom line perspective. How does it impact public and social issues? How does it impact the environmental issues? And most certainly, how do we continue to thrive in a robust economy? Chris, that was great. I'm glad you let off because um, you, you hit the key points. Um, but I'll, I'll add one, one kind of construct to it that's been relatively recent in my learning. Um, and, and when we think about sports and sustainability, we, we tend to talk about the good things we're doing. We're getting more energy efficient. We're using less water. We're recycling more waste. We're encouraging public transportation and bike, biking to the game and, and whatnot. Um, and, and so when we're on that kind of continuum uh, from where we are now to where we're going, 
I think we're, business as usual is really in a state of degradation where we're using up the environment, we're polluting it, we're taking our natural resources. And my initial thought of sustainability is we're getting, we're getting in the direction of neutrality where we're doing no harm. So we're kind of starting from a point of, 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 of bad, getting better. Um, and, and so if you were to get a, a LEED certified building, obviously you're heading in the right direction and it's better than business as usual, um, but we're not anywhere near to neutral and neutral is not good enough. We actually have to be beneficial and regenerative. So when you cross that line from bad to less bad to neutral, um, when I think of sustainability, I really think of the natural world uh, as being beneficial and regenerative. And so that's a really good framework that I've been starting to wrap my head around while we pat ourselves on the back about the good things we do, switching to LED lighting, uh, having electric cars, uh, uh, you know, achieving zero waste. Those are all good things, but um, largely less bad and not anywhere close to where we need to be. Uh, we keep using up things. So as we talk about people, planet and profits, um, those are really important things to hit. And that's the sweet spot of anything we do. We need to do good on all three fronts. Um, but I think if we can think about it as a continuum uh, of, of aiming to get neutral, but again, beneficial and regenerative is really the mindset that we need to operate on. Yeah, I, I, that's both of you. That's a fantastic uh, look at sustainability. And, and from a from a sponsor standpoint, we work with corporations and, and try to look through the lens of sustainability. Sustainability is really the degree of sustainable development. So at what degree are these companies really committing to? And, and I think historically, you've got, uh, you've got the, the environmental lens that people look at, but it's very important for this formulaic value to, to really integrate all three lenses. Uh, good examples, I think, with technology. Uh, you can have the environmental impact of e-waste and, and the energy needed to, to increase our, our, our technology commitments. But then on the social pillar, you look at di digital divide. You know, do we have access for all communities? So I think it's very important that we look at all three pillars equally uh, to go forward on any kind of development. But it's, it's, it's something that, that hasn't been around that long. I mean, we're looking at a little over a decade where it really started coming into play, went kind of silent for a while. But now, due to your work and others, uh, we're, we're making great inroads. And we have to. We have to parallel that with development. So it's an it's exciting time, exciting time for youth, too, to, to go into this as a profession and see the impact we can make together. And it's going to take a lot of collaboration on all sides. Well, Terry, that leads me into kind of my first question, you know, and hearing your background and hearing all of you talk, especially about when we talk about the triple bottom line, you know, the benefits of, of being, uh, trying to get back to neutral. What, like, how did you guys get your uh, start in sustainability? Why was that something that gravitated, uh, you gravitated towards as your career trajectory? So, uh, yeah, so my, my story really starts back when I, was, uh, when I was a kid. I grew up down in Miami, Florida. I was fortunate to be raised on a palm tree nursery uh, and got a different upbringing than, than most, kind of getting to connect with the natural world in a different way. Um, then I graduated and came up to Orlando to study at the University of Central Florida and got really excited about, uh, at the time, the administration's interest in um, addressing climate change. I was one of the students that really put pressure on the UCF administration to commit to carbon neutrality and sign a major document called the American College and Universities President's Climate Commitment. 
and uh, from there was quickly put on the president's sustainability advisory committee to build out our plan uh, and got really passionate about getting students of all disciplines engaged in advancing a cleaner, healthier, more sustainable future. Uh, and so with that created a nonprofit organization called Ideas for Us, uh, very focused on this interdisciplinary group of students coming to develop solutions to these issues. And um, I'm happy to say that over the course of the last going on 13 years, that organization, although it started at UCF as a student organization, has grown to an international NGO with operations in over 30 countries around the world, um, really implementing local sustainability action projects uh, for, for communities. Um, and then, you know, little by little started to excel, started my own company in the clean energy space. And over the last six years have been uh, working um, and advising our mayor, Buddy Dyer here in Orlando and leading the charge on, on really elevating Orlando's prominence and how to find that balance uh, between social equity around environmental protection and continuing to grow our jobs and our economy in this region. And I started, uh, let's see, where did my interest start? Really in school. Um, I studied construction administration at the University of Wisconsin. And so um, studied a little bit of engineering, mostly business, um, got out of school and started managing commercial real estate properties. Um, and so I really started to um, think about efficiency and operations and taking care of our guests, but doing it um, from a financially responsible way. Um, not so much about environmental at that point, but there was definitely some things in school, um, studying some environmental sciences classes that planted the seed and, and being a track and cross country runner and enjoying the outdoors. I, I always appreciated being out. I grew up in Wisconsin um, along the shore of Lake Michigan. So always had a, an appreciation for the natural beauty. Um, then I went to work for the state of Wisconsin, running state office buildings, managing properties there. And, and there I started to really hone in on, um, you know, doing things for the public good, serving people, serving the public. Um, and, and so efficiency was a big part of that. Um, when I went to the University of Wisconsin Athletic Department and started running um, their events, um, that's when it really woke me up to go, wow, this is really wasteful. I mean, this is awesome that 78,000 people come to a football game, uh, but the carnage and the waste afterwards is unbelievable. And the amount of people descending on the city um, and so it, I really felt like there was a responsibility to do what I could do to, to at least clean up after it. Um, and so I started to connect the dots on how sports um, could influence um, our fans and how we could run sports facilities efficiently. Um, I then uh, went to Milwaukee and worked for the Brewers while we built Miller Park, um, started some recycling programs there, but again, really out of a sense of responsibility and, and just um, you know, taking care of the environment and, and still being bothered by all the consumption. Um, then I ended up going to Philadelphia and working for the Luries and opening up Lincoln Financial Field for the Eagles. And there, the owners were really interested in, in advocating uh, environmental issues. And so as we opened up the stadium in the first year, um, we started talking about what, is, what would a comprehensive sustainability program look for, like for a professional sports team and a, and a stadium that hosts uh, large events. And so we created a program called Go Green, and that was in 2004. And, and that's really where I started to become a student of, of sustainability in sports and, and tried to learn what are our impacts, how can we lessen them, lessen them um, what, what is climate change and how important is it. Um, and at that time, um, most people really weren't aware of it. Um, and and um, to even talk about it was very nerdy and most people didn't, they just weren't aware of it. Um, from Philadelphia, I went to Seattle and, and worked at Safeco Field where the Mariners play, uh, which is now 
a different name. Um, but while I was there, I took some of those things that I learned and some of the relationships I had um, old uh, from, from the Philly project and the new folks that I met in Seattle, um, in Portland, and we, we formed uh, the Green Sports Alliance and kicked off a nonprofit organization in 2011. So we're about 10 years old now, and we had six teams in five venues. And today we have 400 plus members, uh, all the leagues are members, a growing collegiate membership, we've got international members. Um, and if you look back over the 10 years, uh, we've matured quite a bit. And again, on the continuum uh, from business as usual to, to less bad, we've come a long ways in the less bad. And people are waking up now to what climate change really is and what a serious issue it is. And almost everybody is in the game uh, at their venue, their team, the league office, the fans. Um, and we're, we're kind of pointing in the direction of neutral and realizing our trajectory really needs to go way past that. Um, and so um, we, we've come a long way in 10 years, um, but I think we've realized we've got a really long ways to go and we've got a really powerful platform because we can influence millions and millions of people. Um, and from what I, what I see here, um, even just serving our fans in the Atlanta market, um, people are ready for this now. Um, 10 years ago, we felt like we were kind of pioneers trying to create the conversation. And, and quite honestly, between people, planet, and profits, our conversation was largely around profits and efficiency, um, especially within the league, the teams. Um, and now I think the people in the planet are, are front and center and the profits just come along for the ride. Um, so we're doing it for the right reasons and our fan base uh, is, is very much supportive of these initiatives. Um, so much so that uh, I'll give you a little example. We survey our fans after every event and we had two Monster Jam events at, at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in the middle of February. So we had 90,000 people come through the building uh, cheering and screaming for really loud uh, trucks zooming up and down mm -hmm. uh, you know, the field. And you wouldn't think that's an exactly a uh, environmentally minded group, um, but along with our experience questions, we dropped in some questions because we're about to push forward on a big zero waste initiative at the stadium. We wanted to test what our fans would think about it. And 86% of the fans said that our zero waste program was important or very important to them. And that's a monster jam show. Um, and when we survey our Falcons fans and United fans, um, the numbers are in the high 90s. So the people are expecting it, they're receptive to it. Um, and if, you, if you'd asked me 10 years ago where the sentiment would have been, it would have been way, way less. And, and so if people are that receptive to it now, um, we, we can use our leadership position and, and our mouthpiece to really drive innovation, drive change uh, and drive behavior change, um, not just in our venues, but in our communities. So it's, it's really exciting to see what's happened in 10 years. And, and as I said, along the continuum, you know, 10 years ago, we were pretty much just bad. Today, we know we need to get to neutral. I hope 10 years from now, uh, we're looking at how are we regenerative and how are we beneficial. Uh, I started, uh, I think, in a unique position. Like Chris, as a youth, I was impacted with mostly the social pillar of sustainability, and that kind of guided my career. Uh, my father was was charged. He was with the Atlanta. Well, he's with the Milwaukee Braves, and he was charged with moving the franchise down to Atlanta and building Atlanta Stadium. Uh, he looked at creating other events, uh, created the Atlanta Chiefs, and was a founder of the NESL. Put on the Beatles and dozens of concerts. Wow. And during during that time, uh, it was a tumultuous time for Atlanta, obviously with civil rights. So my parents uh, really embraced the leadership in civil rights and and supported uh, Dr. King and Coretta, uh, worked, uh, my dad was the economic uh, campaign manager for Andy Young, 
second time he ran, and my parents worked very hard to get him elected. Uh, my mother marched at Selma. It was a it was a very tumultuous time that was unique to to really grab leadership and run with it because there there was uh, it wasn't wasn't in favor at that time. Uh, when my father created the Atlanta Chiefs soccer team, he he was he, he looked at the impact of the 66 World Cup in, in England and and said this is going to be good for the country. Uh, went and signed players in England, but then went on and went to Africa and, and signed Kaiser Motong and a number of Africans, which uh, if, if someone had said you're going to go sign African players to play in Atlanta during the height of civil rights, they'd say you're crazy. But Atlanta at that time, it's a microcosm for what it is today because they embraced it. And you look at today, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing what Arthur Blank, Scott, you guys have created with Atlanta United, a very diverse pool of people who have come together. And I think that's what Atlanta represents. Uh, but I, I saw this when I was around 10. Um, uh, my father had, had someone who had flown in for his, his uh, guidance. And uh, I, it, it was a man with tears running down his face. And it was Kurt Flood. He, uh, he trusted my dad's opinion. And, and uh, that started my awareness of decisions that, that had to be made. Um, it risked Kurt's career. Uh, but these were changes going on. And so that guided me. Uh, I worked for IMG Octagon. I've worked for a lot of companies. I've sold a lot of properties. But the, the inner feeling for me was never a satisfaction in doing deals just for money. Um, it, it was what more can we do with these deals? And so when I, when I founded the, the International Sponsor Council, one of the things I noticed, uh, University of Georgia, back in about 2009, I think it was, they had a a game against South Carolina and the fans had left 40 tons of trash on the quad, the North quad. And I looked at this and I said, you know, there's gotta be a better way. So I looked at, at uh, how we can transfer this into energy and stumbled upon plasma gasification, which deassociates on a molecular level and, and doesn't use incineration, but uh, uses plasma to break this down. And, and you get syngas electricity or steam through this. And I, I said, why can't we do things like this on site? Recycle as much as you can, but use a, a, a platform we can turn this back into energy and put it on the, on the back on the grid. And from there, I went to Japan and tried to use this uh, to help with Fukushima, the, the damage after Fukushima. Um, I looked at plastic ocean pollution. Um, you know, that was over 10 years ago. So I think... We had a great focus back then. We went silent a little while, and now it's exciting to see so many people are coming together. And, and Scott made a great point. It's, it's, it's going to carry me through the day and, and beyond. It's not about getting back to neutral. It's about regeneration and what we can do to make it more positive. So it's, uh, I, I've been really moved and committed to seeing how sports and other sponsorship other verticals, sports, music, entertainment, world challenges, how corporations can come in and really change their dynamics to provide, I think, uh, the, the most effective positive impact they can make. Uh, and, and this is enormous. Uh, I think sports has got to change with it. One of the problems with sports that I've seen is it's, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, we've been so successful as an industry making change that can pull back a little bit and put it in a different direction is, is not always easy. And I know all you guys know what I'm talking about on that one. 
So it's, uh, but I think the timing's right right now. We're, we're, uh, it reminds me of the chaos back in 68. We're going through so much right now that the most we can do is offer some guidance and, and again, this collaboration where people feel like we're moving forward together. And I think sustainability as a platform can do that for us. So it's, uh, it's exciting to see all this work come together. Yeah, I think, I think a few of you guys touched on one of the things that I think is most important about sports or most really special about sports is how it can help the society as a whole evolve and for the better. Um, and if you take that, you know, what Scott, you said about um, the last 10 years, they're really being a big change in the, in the um, way that sports organizations are approaching it. Um, I'd be curious from, from all of your perspective, who are the, the leaders? Who do you look out and see like, hey, these guys are really doing it right. These guys are setting trends. In terms of leaders in this space as it relates to sports, um, I, I will say that the work that Scott's been doing up in Atlanta with Mercedes-Benz is probably the, the platinum standard at this point in time, right? Um, the, in, from a venue's perspective and how responsible they were with that construction uh, and what they do, it, it, it continues to get stellar reviews. Um, down in the city of Orlando, we were we were the first lead gold multi-purpose arena, still is, still is in the country where the Orlando Magic play, and we worked really hard um, to ensure not only that we were incorporating high performance, but we, from an operational and maintenance perspective, how we can continue to evolve and improve this facility over the years. Um, we've done a lot to incorporate, uh, you know, different different um, sustainability measures, whether it's waste diversion, food waste collection. Uh, some of those uh, more simple things, but then also looking at how do we power a facility of this size with renewable, clean, renewable sources of energy. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of, you know, I, I often look to Mercedes-Benz as probably the leading venue in the country at this point in time in terms of trying to find that balance and, and really make a showcase of, of what we should be doing, what we should be building, and how we should be approaching sports venues. Chris, I appreciate the recognition. Um, from, from my view, um, who are the leaders? Um, the league offices, quite honestly, are doing, doing a tremendous job uh, and yield a lot of influence. Um, as Terry said, we, we, we really need to, to invest in this stuff and do more. I mean, the, the opportunity is ripe. Um, we can do a lot more than we're doing. Um, we need to invest in it, and, and, and that takes leadership to say we're gonna invest in this. Um, I'm fortunate that Arthur Blank owns uh, the Falcons in Atlanta United and, and invested a ton of money in Mercedes-Benz Stadium and said, we're gonna do this um, and we're gonna do it at the highest level. So it takes that kind of leadership um, and, and it takes some financial investment to be successful. Um, the, the, what I'm hoping though, is that it becomes so obvious to every business that either you, either you move in this direction and you lead or someone's gonna eat your lunch. So I think sustainability is a threat or an opportunity. And, and it's something that you can't ignore. 10 years ago, you could ignore it. Even five years ago, you could ignore it. Um, I don't think you can uh, going forward. And I think it started with the youth movement, really, um, because the youth are going to be the consumers for the next 50, 60, 70 years. And, and that's what's going to drive businesses to act. And hopefully those are people who are going to be voting uh, and is going to drive government. Um, so I really am encouraged about the consumer movement and the youth movement in particular. Um, and, and the things that I think um, that have big leverage points, and obviously uh, I'll put a plug in for, for the Green Sports Alliance. We've had an influence over 10 years. Um, but when I see um, 
the United Nations working with the International Olympic Committee and I see FIFA doing really aggressive sustainability programs and mandating it and they have unbelievable clout. I would love to see the NCAA use their clout to say, you're going to do this. And you know, when you put a bid together, you tell me what you're going to do for sustainability and not just in the back pages of the RFP, but front and center as, as a strategic initiative. Um, and, and, and I'm not picking on the NCAA. They've done, they've done some good work, um, but I really like what I see out of the IOC and what I see out of FIFA. Um, and they really do have the power to define the game. Um, and I, and I think they realize the power, um, of doing that, the value of doing that, the necessity of doing that, and, and taking their leadership position um, and using it to drive change. So I, I'm really encouraged when I see it at that level and that scale. And, and we're going to be fortunate here in North America to host the World, Men's World Cup in 2026. And so as we're starting to plan things now around our zero waste initiative and creating circular economy solutions at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, quite honestly, I'm looking six years ahead to say, boy, if we can do it here as a platform, as a pilot with Coca-Cola in our backyard um, and show how we can transform Atlanta and the mindset of our consumers and our fans, imagine if we can do that across every venue that hosts a World Cup match in 2026. Yep. Well, and a quick point before we turn to Terry on that that I wanted to follow up on. I'm on the FIFA 2026 bid committee here in Orlando, and I know Atlanta and Orlando are in the top 19 right now. We're hopeful that our Southeast cluster may, may win out. Uh, but I'll, I, I've been impressed at as you mentioned, FIFA's priority around this sustainability is no longer in the back of the line. Uh, they required an entire committee to be assembled across departmental, across sectors, uh, for us to pull together best practices and really start to plan ahead of the game and look holistically you know, at this framework around sustainability for the built environment. And we look at it in these various different lenses, but from a built environment standpoint, from a clean energy standpoint, zero waste, local food, water, transportation, even the interaction with the surrounding ecology and your natural systems, those seven kind of pillars are the way that we, you know, we look at uh, this topic in Orlando, and they really covered it in these applications. So it's, it's, it's encouraging to see those large leagues, especially one like FIFA that's global and followed by billions, to really start to prioritize that for humanity. And before I throw it to Terry, I got one thing to add to that um, and, and talking about sustainable development goals, because, you know, students might not be so familiar with that. Um, but and that's one thing that I've learned over the last 15 years um, as, as my thinking evolves to get people to move and to change and to pay attention. You've got to You've got to get it in their head and you've got to get in their heart. And I think when you talk about the sustainable development goals, you start to talk about people and the impacts it has on people. And, and they all relate back to sustainability. But when you talk about climate change and temperature and extreme weather events, people don't really relate to that until it affects them personally. Um, and, and, and this big freight train of climate change is coming at us, but we don't perceive it because it's not here, it's not me, it's not now most often. Um, and so I think when you boil it down to the construct of the sustainable development goals, it wraps purpose around what you're doing that ties back to sustainability. So, um, and it makes it more local and meaningful to people. So I would encourage folks to, to, to study up on the sustainable development goals that the UN is promoting. Chris, did you want to add to that? Oh, no, no, go for it, Terry. We're, 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 we're stealing we're Terry's time. time. No, no, <laughs> I'm enjoying it. I'm glad you brought up the SDGs. No, that, I'm enjoying this. Uh, I, I think, I think there's, as far as leadership, um, 
I'll pick on a few things here. I, I think moving forward, we got to change status quo. And I think it's, it's corporations have to have to pivot a little bit. When you look at sustainability, are there the leaders dictating messaging that the hundreds of thousands of employees may not be behind? Is there a platform of, of really sharing a voice of the employees that buys into this? Um, I, I don't know if that exists, and I think it needs to, especially uh, Scott. To your point, you know these these are they, these are the, the future uh, consumers and, and and stewards of the planet. So I think to your point, uh, FIFA and IOC they're they're grabbing the leadership handle and running with it. But where are sponsors on that? Sponsors have been uh, have been committed to sustainability. They have planning. Uh, I think they should have led on this. They should have led and said, here's what we, to align our values, here's what we need. And they, they really could have changed the dynamics, I think, with fans with that. Uh, so they really need to get involved. And, and they need to get involved in, on, on multiple issues. Uh, CTE is one. Um, sponsors benefit from these athletes who are getting brain damage. I mean, we, we know enough about CTE, but we don't near, know nearly enough. We need research. So I think if you're going to benefit from, from a stance, you need to invest in research because those are your stakeholders. Um, sports betting. It's amazing to me that we're living in an age of sustainability where we're trying to stave off, we're trying to be futuristic and stave off problems. And yet for, for money, we're embracing something we know is damaging to society. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm one of those that I, I don't understand why we're embracing sports betting. Uh, just for revenues. Um, plastic pollution is another one. I, I think I think when we look at, at going forward with sponsors, they're going to be under more and more of a microscope. Do they align with the values? And I think we need to be careful of that. Gender pay inequality. If you're going to take a stance on social issues like gender pay inequality, you better be living them. And some companies are not. And I think there's some sustainability washing going on we saw greenwashing previously. Now we're seeing sustainability washing. And I think we, we need to push back a little bit and make sure that, that uh, we're, we're in line with our, our commitments and what we say. So it's a, from a leadership standpoint, there's a lot of people, I think, leading. Uh, I just went through the ocean race with Megan Jones. She's a great leader in this space. Uh, I think Arthur, I can remember when Arthur's office 10 years ago was, was uh, Lee Gold. You know, this isn't something he stumbled upon. It wasn't something he was forced into. This is a belief that's genuine from him. Uh, there's a lot of great owners, but I'd probably put him at the top because he, he really is genuine about this. Again, I think we need the people coming up through, through employment, the youth of today, to at least have a voice. They might not have all the answers. We don't expect them to, but I think they need to share in that. Uh, Scott, you know, your, your point on on influencing fans is critical. I, I think one of the problems we have in the industry is the nomenclature is getting very confused. We don't, and we started this off, Mark. Uh, I don't know if we understand what sustainability is from an industry standpoint, sharing that messaging versus green uh, versus CSR. And I think that confusion, if we're all confused and using it in different ways, how can we educate other people on it? So I think we need to come together and be concise on messaging. I think that's a very important action that we can all take together. 
one important takeaway that I wanted to share here is that leadership really is needs to be seen in a cross sectoral, right? It's not just about the, the, the actual sports leagues or the individual owners of these properties. It, you know, there are leaders in government and private sector and nonprofits and civil society across the board, we are seeing an uprising of leadership in this space. And, and that's the reason why we're seeing the critical mass, right? Terry, you talked about, we've had these lulls of priority around sustainability and now we're seeing this skyrocket. I think the, the change in momentum is because it's being addressed at multiple angles and it's being addressed uh, at the individual level, at the government level, at the business level, at the consumer level. And, and everybody is realizing that we play a role in shaping a cleaner, healthier, more prosperous future for all. It's not gonna be one pillar. It cannot be government alone or business alone. And that type of collaboration and partnership is really allowing this movement to accelerate to the, you know, to the, to the, to the degree that it needs to. I want to ask a quick follow-up kind of based on what Terry said about, um, you know, making sure you're living the values that you talk about. What, what, do pe- what should people look at as the, the, the authentic versus maybe things that are just done at a PR level or something that might be a little bit more surface level? I mean, you want, you want that conversation regardless, but I imagine there's certain things that are really making a difference and then there's certain companies or organizations who might just want to have a, a good soundbite around it. What's the how can people kind of see the difference between what's authentic and what's uh, kind of just for show? Hmm. So the greenwashed versus not, so to speak, right? And, and yeah. I think, you know, you, you, to me, it's, it's blatantly obvious, but I think I'm, I'm so ingrained in it that it's difficult for me to pull my perspective apart a little bit. Of course, you know, you know, uh, recycling has been around for, for decades, right? And, and so a lot of people... We'll, we'll focus on recycling or, or, or say that they recycle and maybe a back of house cardboard recycling effort, but the vast majority of the venue isn't taking advantage of recycling, right? And trying to divert that waste. And so they may be promoting the fact that they're recycling and it may be at the surface level, but not really trying to look holistically at what we're doing at Amway Center or my Mercedes Benz Center, where, where it's full scale integration of recycling, food waste collection, even, even liquids coming down to the point of how do we get some of this stuff out of the landfill and, and repurpose it on site, as Terry was mentioning, there are technologies now. Um, I think when it comes down to the actual facility, right, there, there are, there are um, you know, buildings that are to the code, which I call the worst buildings to build by law. And then there are those that are verified third party, uh, essentially that are meeting these higher performance metrics, whether it's lower energy use intensity and water use intensity, whether it's their greenhouse gas emissions footprint or, or they're trying to generate power on site, what they're doing for uh, you know, waste diversion, all of these things play into a role. And so the facility and getting these buildings to be LEED certified gold and platinum is, is a huge deal. I mean, that's not just a small you know, anecdote. That is something, uh, you know, and for those who have gone through the LEED certification process, it is a process and it is rigorous and it is verified and, and scrutinized by third party reviewers. It's not something that's easy to go through and just check a box. So I, I think, you know, we have to look holistically at the, at the facility, at the operations, and really understand that framework I talked about around buildings, energy, water, food, waste, transportation, and natural systems and ecology, right? How do all of those components play a role in any given institution or venue? And I think that's the lens that I approach usually this, this, this topic. 
And I, I agree with all that. And, and I would add just really simply, it's more about what you do than what you say. Um, pay more attention to what people are actually doing. It's one thing to say something or paint a picture uh, or paint something in a certain light. Um, but people are generally pretty smart and they'll pick you apart if you're, if you're just saying it and not really doing it. Um, so I, I think that your actions speak way louder than your, than your words. Um, and, and that's the danger of talking about it is being a, a bit vulnerable. Um, you know, if, if, you know, as much as we were proud of Mercedes-Benz Stadium, um, I, I would be the first to say that we're less bad than other venues. Uh, you know, we're not neutral, we're not beneficial. We're trying to be, and we are maybe in some ways, um, but it is nice to have a third party talk about you and, and have a third party process that certifies it. Um, as, as we go, go through this big initiative to make our stadium a zero waste stadium, um, and, and had we had the, the final four there as we had planned, um, we, we, we were very confident we could, we could hit a 90% waste diversion rate for the, for the whole weekend um, and, and achieve zero waste. And, and, and we're looking at getting third party certified as a zero waste venue. So, you know, we know that um, what we say is, is, has some importance, um, but it's really more important what you do. And especially if somebody who is credible can verify it. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, uh, you know, one of the things we all, all, are aware of are, are the youth today and how they will gravitate towards purchasing product that uh, has causes behind it. Mm -hmm. um, I think that can be taken advantage of one, two, I don't know if there, there's an ability for them to be educated on what companies are truly behind causes and the product they're buying. Does it have cause really behind it? I think a lot of this research is pre-purchase. It's based on intent versus post-purchase where you can really see that they're doing that. Um, I think there, there needs to be some platforms we can all develop. I mean, we're, we've been looking at, at developing a platform where sponsors can look at events and see how sustainable they are and the point of entry. Do they support them where there's an opportunity for them to help them be neutral or positive uh, or even just better uh, to Scott's point or uh, do they say no because of the impact? Um, I think the same with purchasing product. I, there has to be a platform where you can go in with an app and look up products and say, okay, this is one I should be buying. I don't think that exists to my knowledge. Um, I, I think there's a great opportunity for us to, to lead in a lot of these ways. And, but there's a lot that could be done. You know, I, I think each of you provides just tremendous examples of, you know, the organizations and the initiatives that people are, are, taking on in sustainability, but, you know, let's take a deeper dive into sustainability. You know, what are the core pillars? How are they being measured? And then one more question to add on that is how are smart cities and governments supporting, you know, um, this movement going forward? So starting out, uh, I think you'll be impressed when you start to look across this country and really around the world at, at local government leadership in the space of sustainability. Um, we, we've seen, especially over the last three to four years, a, a, a significant rise in focus around hiring sustainability officers and directors uh, that, that are not just being hidden in a public works department, but are truly part of uh, the organization's um, administration and, and executive level of decision making. Uh, and here in Orlando, we're fortunate to have that. Um, you know, in 2007, Mayor Dyer launched Greenworks Orlando, which is the brand that, that we run off of. And I, I talked about these seven key focus areas, but again, 
uh, we look at it in the lens of first and foremost, the built environment and, and our buildings, right? Uh, buildings in Orlando and, and most large urban settings contribute to over 70% of carbon emissions uh, associated with their communities. For us, it's actually 75% of, of carbon emissions are associated with buildings using energy, then that energy being dirty and polluting, right? And, and only 25% coming from the transportation sector. And you can imagine the amount of load that we have in the hospitality arena of hotels and theme parks, of course, our downtown major central business districts and our homes and multifamily, uh, you know, buildings don't have a smokestack on top of them showing these emissions, but believe it or not, their carbon footprint is much larger in the grand scheme of things. And, and that all depends on, of course, the energy supply, you know, in your grid. And so that's the second key pillar is what is that energy mix that's powering your city? Uh, traditionally, we've been, you know, powering this country and this world off of coal and, 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 and seemingly natural gas now moving towards that uh, much quicker. And, and we need to move into a direction uh, that, that we can power ourselves with clean renewable energy sources. Here in Orlando, we've made a commitment to move our electric grid to 100% renewables for city operations by 2030 and the entire citywide by 2050. And I'm happy to say that this year, Amway Center, Camping World Center, uh, as well as uh, all of our fire stations, police headquarters, and um, our emergency operations center will be 100% powered by solar, uh, including that Amway Center through our solar farms. So energy is critical. The next pillar for, for me is often on the waste environment. And we, we talk about this notion of zero waste or 90 plus percent diversion from the landfill. And holistically, we look at this in a lot of different ways. Obviously, not just your traditional single stream recycling, uh, but organics are becoming more and more of an issue and, and realizing that um, a lot of emissions, methane emissions that we're realizing contributing to this problem are coming from organics decomposing in our landfills. And so we have in Orlando here lifted up a program where we're collecting organics at businesses, including our venues, Amway and Camping World and the soccer stadium. And that all gets taken to an anaerobic digester, a waste to energy plant that turns that organics into renewable natural gas that RNG turns into electricity and is exported onto the grid. So now we're, 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 we've created this closed loop system uh, and we're, we're able to reutilize that waste in a better way. But it's not just about organics, it's also grease and, uh, and e-waste and textiles. So it's holistic on the wayside. Uh, the, the fourth pillar I, I often look at is, is local food systems. The, the entire industrial agricultural system not only in this country, but globally, contributes to about 20% of global climate change emissions as well. And that's primarily because of land use change and deforestation. We're seeing that a lot in the Amazon, right? Because we're taking out the Amazon so that we can have more land for cattle, uh, so that we can grow more cattle. So one is land use change. The second is emissions from those animals uh, and, and their contribution uh, you know, to the planet. So on the food side, we have to start to localize uh, as much as possible and move towards more of a plant-based diet. And so we've tried to in infuse that throughout uh, our venues here in the city of Orlando, really sourcing locally uh, as much as possible and doing our best to offer vegetarian and vegan options uh, because more and more of our population is being sensitive. They are being trying to be more responsible with their diets. And it's one of the one things that each one of us can do. We often do it two and three times a day that we can impact the planet in a positive way. Uh, the, the, the fifth kind of pillar I, I look at is the notion around water. 
right? And in Florida, water is such a sensitive topic. We're surrounded by water, but we're also dependent on a very finite pool of clean water resources under us, the Florida and aquifer. And I'm, I'm, I'm sad to say that over the last two to three decades, we've seen drastic decline in uh, outputs of our freshwater springs and the amount of uh, consumptive use permits we're able to pull from the aquifer. We're, we're being told by water management districts, you all have to find alternative water supply, whatever that might mean. That could be desalinization, that could be surface water with purification. There's a lot of things we have to deal with, but if anything is a linchpin to growth of the economy and prosperity, it's water resources. Look what happened with Cape Town not too long ago, right? Where they were literally down to the last drop trying to figure out how am I going to millions of people were, were being affected, right? And so water, we look at from both a, a quantity of consumption standpoint, but also quality. What are we doing that is impacting water quality and minimizing nutrient pollution, minimizing a lot of pesticides and chemicals that we're using uh, around these venues uh, has a drastic impact on, on water quality. Sixth pillar for me is, is this notion around transportation and mobility. Right, that, that is that 25% in Orlando's contribution is, is coming from our vehicles using diesel and gasoline primarily. And so venues are more and more um, prioritizing electric vehicle parking and ensuring that as we build these new venues and retrofitting them that we have EV charging stations and ideally solar powered EV charging stations with, with covering. Uh, um, we're, we're moving towards uh, transit oriented development, trying to encourage the use of multimodal transportation, get people on our SunRail and on the, the Lynx buses and the limo buses and using micromobility, right? Scooters and bike share is a hot topic right now. People love them. We want to encourage more use of them uh, and, and that's going to be critical. So transportation, we're doing a lot to, to, to electrify transportation. Uh, a lot of electric buses coming now to Orlando and so we're really ramping up EV buses. Uh, and, and, and then, of course, the Virgin train coming from, you know, that high-speed rail coming from Miami is going to be a game-changer for Orlando. The last pillar uh, is that natural systems and ecology. And that's really how do we find this balance between the natural world and the built environment? And, and we, we have to come to a point where not only are we neutral, but as Scott continues to say, we move into regeneration. I think we're a little ways out from figuring out regeneration systems, but we need to have that as the vision on the horizon as we move up uh, down this chain. So ensuring um, for us that we're, that we're trying to equip uh, native and flora friendly landscaping, uh, that we're really focused on uh, protection of natural, natural lands and our wetlands, especially in Florida, this becomes a really contentious issue around development. Uh, and so more and more, we're trying to figure out how do we find that balance? How do we uh, proliferate the growth of, of wildlife habitats uh, and share this, you know, our, our communities with uh, other natural beings that we, that we live with. And so those are the seven pillars, right, that, that I often look at any given project. Uh, and, and when we approach it that way, we can really be more responsible in these types of developments. Sorry to be on that soapbox a little bit in terms of <laughs> walking us through that, that mindset there. Chris, you nailed it. I, I, I couldn't really add anything to it other than just to highlight a couple of things. Um, one is water is such a, a thing that we take for granted. Uh, and, and when we don't have it, we're in big, big trouble. Um, and, and it's amazing how many communities are kind of living on the edge that people don't even know it. They have no idea. Um, but you imagine living a day without water and tell me what your life's like. It just, it doesn't work. Um, so that's a definitely under, undervalued, underappreciated resource that we take for granted every day. Um, I absolutely agree with you. A local government can really drive the game. 
it's so hard um, on a big scale, whether it's state or, or nationally, uh, although we were doing a lot better with the prior administration and the EPA than we are doing now, um, we, need, we need good leadership at the, at the national level, um, but you can certainly get a lot more done locally, uh, and I applaud you guys for what you're doing. So city planning, uh, having those sustainability um, departments and, and really having a holistic plan like you have in Orlando is, is really, really something. Um, and then I love the fact that you talk about organics because that's another piece of the puzzle that people people don't appreciate soil. They have no idea uh, how valuable, how important it is. Um, and so I, I'll, I'll, I'll suggest that people get online and, and look up the compost story. It's by a group called Kiss the Ground, the compost story. And it's about a five minute video. Um, it's somewhat entertaining and, and very educational. And, and hopefully that'll get people to start thinking about what they do with organics and how important soil is. Fun fact, real quick, a residential program that we have is, is we offer in Orlando free 80-gallon composters to every resident in the city of Orlando that wants one. They go on our website, they fill out a simple form, and we literally assemble it and deliver it to their door. They come home from work, it's there. And we have now over 8,000 households in Orlando composting, actually taking their food scraps from their, from their homes and, and creating soil in their backyard that they can either repurpose in a home garden, put around their trees and shrubs. Uh, and, and it's gotten so popular now um, that people in apartment complexes have been reaching out saying, how do we go about diverting our food waste? And so now we have a new public drop-off program at farmer's markets. Uh, we now have a bin set up where somebody can come and dump their organics into this overall bin. And then we take that to that anaerobic digester, that waste to energy plant. And so organics, definitely an opportunity there. And I'll say that the hierarchy of, there is a hierarchy of food waste, uh, believe it or not. And, and first and foremost, we've got to figure out how to get the edible food to those who need it most, right? And so food recovery, or what we call food rescue, is another key part of our organic strategy. Get the food at the, at the Amway Center that goes in our box offices that is still wrapped perfectly edible and hasn't been touched, and get those to food banks and to homeless shelters so that they can eat them. The next level is get it to animals. If it's not edible by, by people, get it to be edible by animals. If it's not edible by animals, let's go into anaerobic digestion, then in compost, then in landfill. So there's this hierarchy in thinking about these solutions. And, and I think to address it meaningfully, we have to look holistically at each one of those pillars. I think one of the things we need to look at too, circular economy is obviously a big focus right now. And one of the things I'm concerned about is if you're going to have a circular economy, I think we need to ensure that what's in that circular flow is is as healthy as can be. And I think we're, we're you you had mentioned recycling. I mean, uh, recent factors came out and said we've only recycled about nine percent of the plastic that's been been manufactured. Uh, we can work towards getting that to 50, 60 percent, but we still have a very negative impact from plastic especially microplastic, tire dust. Uh, we're, we're, we're ingesting, we're inhaling, uh, we're making sporting goods out of captured ocean plastic. Uh, I don't know if there's been, I've asked, I don't know if there's been research on the health ramifications from this. We do know that laundering uh, synthetics can, is one of the top three contributors to ocean plastic. So I think, are we perpetuating the same problems we're seeing? So if we're going to have a circular economy, let's make sure that uh, if plastic's going to be a part of that, uh, we, we have to look at alternatives down the road and that should be invested in right away. Uh, so I think that's a concern. Circular economy sounds great, but you got to make sure that what's in it isn't toxic. 
Um, as far as smart cities, smart cities uh, from a sponsorship group, we well, representing sponsors, we are supporting Artie Tandon and, and Smart City Expo Atlanta. She's got a fantastic vision that redefines smart cities beyond just technology, social justice. I mean, she's uh, she's got something that I think is going to break down and, and really create a new flow for public-private partnerships. And we're working with the uh, Mayor Hardy Davis of Augusta, Georgia, is doing an incredible job. He's helping us, the African American Mayors Association. There's a lot of groups that are saying, you know what, we, we do want to work with the private sector on solutions to challenges. So I think we're changing the, 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 dynamics, the dynamics of the conversation there and what we can impact. And I think with sports and sustainability, that needs to happen. And we, we do need to go and really look at that social that social pillar and look at uh, what it includes. Transparency, anti-corruption, diversity and inclusion. There's gotta be a lot more stakeholders in the conversation. And I think this is a great time to pivot. I think when we look at COVID-19, the, the wake up call for us from a global perspective is uh, it's really impacting people who are not healthy. And I think when you look at diabetes and ob obesity, from a company st standpoint, we've got to do a better job putting out healthy product, putting out products that are beneficial for people. And I think this is a, a great wake up call to make that commitment, but we need everybody on board. One other thing I think we're going through right now is trust. Uh, there is such mistrust from all levels, so I don't, political, corporate, whatever it is. We, we are uh, police brutality. We have got to bring people together and have and build back up trust because it, it's just non-existent right now. And it's going to be very hard to make commitments of change if we don't earn that trust back. So I think that's something that the sports community through sustainability really needs to get together and talk about. Great points, Terry. I, I just wanted to also harp on the smart cities component because I, I missed that going through my, my framework of sustainability. But we, we see in, in Orlando, we call it our future ready uh, initiative because it's really about how do we ensure that we don't get left behind and that we can continue to foster innovation and evolve as a city, be ready for any given shock or stress that hits us in the future. Uh, and so I agree with Terry that smart cities is not just about technology. Um, but technology certainly is a, a key component in the means to the end. We still have our goal of achieving 100% renewable clean energy for the city of Orlando. How we get there is going to be a technological move to, to accelerate that goal. And so how can we infuse, and that's why, you know, our Future Ready plan has the same seven pillars, essentially, as our Greenworks Sustainability Action Plan. But now with those seven pillars in a new perspective, how do we co-create and solve communities' most pressing challenges in the 21st century by leveraging this notion around technology, around community input and, and engagement, uh, and around environmentally responsible development, right? And so it really is um, quite exciting to see where things are kind of going in this space. So guys, I, I, you guys touched on this a bit uh, in, in, in your kind of detailed analysis, but I want to kind of dive into it. Terry, you even touched on it a bit more from your IMG, uh, your IMG world. Um, understanding kind of where we are with smart cities, understanding where we are with the idea of sustainability moving forward. How do you see all these industries converging onto creating what we, what we consider um, ideal state, right? What do you see? How do you see that happening? How do you see 
all these industries, all these different interests converging onto trying to create what, what a perceived ideal state could be with sustainability and the intersection of sports. I think we're still figuring out, a, you know, each sector's role in advancing a sustainable future. I've been fortunate to be part of a lot of the United Nations discussions, both here in Brazil for Rio Plus 20. I've been out in Germany a number of times uh, engaging at the UN. And uh, what's interesting is they, you know, at that level, they're able to convene a lot of these sectors together to figure out what that ideal end state is. And and, and I want to just double down on that sustainable development goals. The SDGs is that global framework of 17 global goals that is going to move humanity in a more equitable and a more responsible and a more environmentally friendly direction. Uh, and, and that seems to be the framework to get to the ideal state. If we can take off and begin addressing those goals, and we are now, uh, we've been in it since 2015 when they were launched and they go out to the year of 2030. So it's a 15-year horizon. Uh, and and uh, 2020 to 2030 are going to be absolutely cr critical in, in, in kind of achieving these goals of eliminating poverty, uh, continuing to reduce inequalities around the world, but at the same time, move in a direction that grows our economy that doesn't destroy the planet. And, and that's that delicate balance we're trying to get to. Um, you know, there's an economist that I, I'm, I've started to really, uh, you know, really embrace more of, and it's called Donut Economics. If you get a chance, look up Donut Economics, Kate Raworth, um, who's written a book and, and a TEDx on this, but it's a different perspective on the economy that, that takes into account the social foundation and the planetary boundaries of which we've identified, and the goal being getting to zero, right? Getting to neutral state where, where everybody on this planet has that social foundation to thrive, and we're not um, kind of going outside of the boundaries of the natural resources that the planet provides us every single day, right? And so donut economics, I think, has gotten the closest to identifying what does a true economy look like in this state of sustainability, right? What is that from, from an economic perspective? How do we continue to create jobs and grow capitalism, et cetera, but do so in, in, in this framework around social inclusion and environmental responsibility? Um, I think it's, it's interesting, too, because uh, Orlando uh, and Keel, you really opened my eyes to this. The, the, it's taking a, a great leadership role and has been with sustainability as a city and its planning. Uh, you look at the branding from this standpoint, uh, a city's identity. And, of course, Atlanta has got a, a really positive and, and, I think, important technology platform here and growing. Uh, but I think cities need to learn from each other. And, and really look at what's important and, and take all the aspects of, of a city that they can um, within their, their limitations uh, and, and really commit maybe their own role and how that plugs into the bigger role. But it's, a, it's amazing to see these cities really dive deep on, on the investment. Uh, and it's exciting. I don't think a lot of people realize what's going on with this and how it influences uh, the consumer and citizen. Um, you know, we talk about venues being innovation labs for smart cities. Um, I think hospitals, schools could probably serve the same purpose, but there is a great passion behind sports teams and their venues. And between technology and, and uh, environmental controls, what we can do with stadiums to, to benefit smart cities is, is really crucial. Uh, but again, I think we, we need to get consensus on this from all the stakeholders and involvement. And I think, uh, obviously, we need to improve the relationships between the public and private sector. 
for this to, to really be maximized. And I think that's starting to go on. And, and again, it's, it, we touched on leadership and it takes leadership from all sides. Um, so it's, it's exciting to see what's going to happen. And this is going to be, we're going through a very tumultuous period. We're being challenged, but I think out of that, there's going to be a lot of positive impact. Just listening to this, uh, this episode today, uh, you know, there's just so much to learn. Uh, I, I think, I think you said it really well there, Terry, you know, there's just so much information that people don't know right now. Um, and you know, this episode, uh, has highlighted so many areas that I think are important for students to do some research in because they're really going to drive opportunities of where new jobs are going to be in the future. Um, there's going to be whole, you know, verticals of jobs that support a lot of the initiatives that you shared today on the podcast. So, you know, in wrap up, what we like to do is, is have each of you just kind of look down uh, right directly into the barrel of the camera and, uh, you know, leave with a personal note for the students. Right now, we're at a critical point in our history. And what you do beyond uh, your studies at your university, in this case, the University of Central Florida, is going to dictate our future. It's going to dictate how we evolve as a society. And one thing I encourage everybody, no matter the discipline that you're in, no matter if you're studying education or studying sports medicine or studying environmental science or engineering, everyone will play a role in moving society in a sustainable direction. No matter the role that you play, everybody will have a, a play, uh, you know, a, a role to play. And I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic because I see that the greatest opportunity, the greatest economic development and job creation opportunity of this century is going to be positioning ourselves in this sustainable direction. It's gonna be jobs around retrofitting our homes and our buildings. It's gonna be jobs around improving overall social equity and the digital divide. It'll be jobs around providing the necessary infrastructure so that everybody has the right chance to thrive in their, in their life. And, and so I encourage you and empower you to think about how your passions align with the future that you want it to be, right? How your passions and your skills and your talents can contribute towards cleaner, healthier, and more prosperous communities, both here in Orlando and beyond. And so um, don't hesitate to reach out, continue to build your network, get engaged and, and volunteer your time, whether it's for a nonprofit or a local a business to get experience. Uh, and, and that will certainly set you apart uh, and help you continue to thrive in, in your career. And I hope we can catch up again soon. And uh, if anybody out there listening can, uh, you know, make it to Mercedes-Benz Stadium and, and visit us on a, on a match day, a game day or whatever, uh, reach out to me. I'm always happy to have people shadow and, uh, and share what I can about how we operate the stadium. So uh, lots of great things to chew on here at this call. And I appreciate being a part of it. Youth is the, the future and we need to, we need to embrace that. Uh, you have a, such a critical role to play and you need to be hungry, hungry for information, hungry for, uh, for growing, never stop learning. And uh, do embrace your passion, but, but look and learn from others and look towards how you can make an impact in what's going on. And that is really paying attention and getting involved. Join us next episode to discuss emerging technology with Abhishek Binyaka of Spectacom, Amanda Stern with the Canadian Olympic Committee, and Costa Claudianos of Tennis Canada.